0: If you're looking for a new way to support Side Mission, check out W.GG, an energy supplement company trying to make a difference. Make sure to use code Mission for 15% off your order. Thank you, W, for sponsoring this episode, and we hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome in to the newest episode of Side Mission. I, like always, am your host, Rusty Ellis, joined by the boys Kyle Lynch and Matt Beck. And today, we've got the first of two DLC reviews. I don't know that we've actually done a DLC review now that I think about it. Maybe we have, and I'm just forgetting it. But today, boys, we are talking about the God of War Ragnarok DLC, Valhalla. And I think if we wanted to just simplify our thoughts of this DLC, and I think that I'm I'm correct in speaking for the three of us here. I think that the three of us all love this DLC and that it's very well done. It adds a lot of a lot of really, really cool story elements and gameplay elements to God of War Ragnarok, obviously after the story of Ragnarok. So, fellas, let's go ahead and jump right in. Kyle, uh, the story of this DLC, I think it adds uh, what I was able to figure out. I think it adds about two to three hours of story onto what we already know from Ragnarok. And... uh it's a really, really interesting start. It just, it follows Kratos and Mimir. They're rowing this boat. They're, they're somewhere. I be- We don't really know where they are. And they've been given a very, very vague message from someone who we find out later is Tyr. That uh, is trying to get them to come to Valhalla. And it kicks off what is a really, really interesting story beat, Kyle.
0: Yeah, I, when we were watching the Game Awards, saw Kratos pop up on screen, I hollered. And when they said that this DLC was going to be free and released the following week, I was floored. I couldn't believe it. And this DLC absolutely exceeded my expectations. Um, Man, there's so many things to talk about. The fact that... You know, it was a roguelike, which is obviously going to, you know, sit really well with me because I'm a big fan of roguelikes. But I was very, very impressed with the way that they incorporated um, their form of storytelling in with a roguelike. Because roguelikes aren't really... um, They're not really known for their story. I mean, most of them have a story, but they're all about the gameplay. And this was really cool to see Sony Santa Monica kind of try their hand at a different genre. And in my opinion, it worked very well. Um, the way you start by, you know, just kind of showing up on the shore and breaking into Valhalla, essentially. Uh, you know, it it was a very, very interesting... Um, I think return to this game for me, because I haven't played this in quite a while uh since the game came out really, because I never went back and played New Game Plus, and now I might. But it w- it felt very natural. I I was like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, pick this up very quickly, especially with it being, you know, so very different. It's kinda just me going, you know, horde after hoard. But it if it-, it came back very naturally. I felt like uh you know, the way that they gradually introduce the player to all the new mechanics in this game mode was uh, done very well as uh, as well.
1: Yeah, I think that this story and then this combat really lends itself well to the roguelike genre. I, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I, I personally didn't really have any hesitations when it came to the gameplay or the combat. I felt like there was always there was always something there that could work and i feel like we saw a little bit of that a little bit of some of these elements maybe in god of war 2018 with everything you had to do in niflheim i don't know if maybe you feel differently there but i felt like you know going into the maze in niflheim into the mist was maybe kind of a precursor to this it was maybe them trying some things out here and you know because i remember when you go into the maze in niflheim in 2018 it would change it up it would be different every time it would You know, you you would go in, you'd try to get as many mistakes as you can, and you'd try to leave without dying, and if you died, then you lost everything that you had on you. I don't know, Kyle, you can tell me if you feel like I'm off there, but I feel like they were experimenting there, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that worked there also works here.
0: Absolutely. I, I definitely think that was them, you know, kind of testing to see if anybody really liked Niflheim, because if they didn't, it was just a realm. It wasn't a big part of the story. I think Niflheim was completely optional, actually. Yes. Um, so it wasn't too big of a risk. I think that them making this entire DLC was a much bigger risk. Because while I, and I'm pretty sure all of us, um, enjoy roguelikes, not everybody does. And you know, I think that this is a great introduction, you know, because it's God of War, it's, you're going to be very familiar with the gameplay, it's not like you're having to pick up a completely new game, however, I can understand, you know, for people out there that are used to playing the 2018 game, and then all of Ragnarok going into this, and it being very different, you know, having your opinions about it, uh, but I just, I personally really, really enjoy roguelikes, so this You know, I I just, I don't have that side of the argument. I think that this was amazing, and maybe that's just my bias talking, Um, but it also didn't feel like you said, it didn't feel like it was hard to pick up because the combat fits so well into it, especially with us already, you know, for those of us who went for 100% completion in 2018, we've already done this in, you know, the Niflheim realm, and this was actually executed a lot better than Niflheim was, not that Niflheim was bad, it's just I think that they saw what they could improve there and absolutely did, and they smashed it.
1: I agree. For those that obviously don't know, the the basic gameplay flow here is once you enter Valhalla, and we'll talk more about the story and kind of some some of one of the funnier earlier interactions that you have with Freya and Sigrun and the Valkyries after your first visit to Valhalla, is basically you enter Valhalla, And you enter with a very, very basic loadout. Your first time in, you'll have no shield. You'll just have your Leviathan Axe. And I don't... Do you have the Chaos Blades on your first run? I don't believe you... Yeah, I believe you're limited to just the axe. And you basically... You go through the realms. You open chests. You defeat enemies. And you basically go through these realm portals in the realm between realms. uh, Until eventually, you obviously either get to the end and get to the boss... Or you die and have to start to run all over. Obviously, on higher difficulties, which is a very interesting I think a very interesting uh addition to this, because in most roguelikes, Kyle, you don't see difficulties. So that's kind of a, a very weird that's a very weird take on it, is the fact mm-hmm. that you can play on an easier difficulty, you can play on a harder difficulty. It's really interesting. Um, but Matt just I feel like the big thing here is This game, or this mode, it keeps you in combat, and that's one of the best parts of these new God of War games, has been the combat. I said it with Armored Core earlier in the year that what I liked about it was that it put such an emphasis on the combat and on maximizing your time in combat, and I feel like, Matt, this mode does the same, and that's awesome.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that, Um, especially because we're all talking about, you know, enjoying roguelikes. I'm not exactly the biggest fan of them, but I do like to play them as just kind of um, a way to challenge myself because I feel like a lot of these days video games don't really challenge you, but that's why I appreciate roguelikes, um, to be honest. Um, But one thing that I love about uh, this game, as we talked about, the combat, and this is definitely a really good beginner's uh, entryway into roguelikes, um, is with all the chests that you're opening... You know you gotta be very strategic here and I appreciate that sort of that input that they placed in here that it's not just about you know with you playing the, the story campaign you know you, you can either you know just press button mash or you can be strategic with what you're doing especially if you're fighting some of the harder bosses thanks for beating one for Remy Rusty <laughs> <laughs> so but at this one you can't exactly do that and honestly one thing that I noticed in my playthrough is that I will sometimes stick to a single weapon for each like different playthrough to see what fits, to see what works. As I'm upgrading them, I'll focus extremely on you know solely on those, and I'm definitely focused on my health because let's just say I have not played uh, Ragnarok since I beat it um, almost a year ago, so I was a little uh, no offense rusty. I was a little I'll rusty on you. my combat here. <laughs> I was actually uh, getting my ass kicked, so I, I I did have to downgrade the combat level uh, difficulty. Um, but I'm getting back into it. So, as I've gotten back into it and experimenting, I've really been enjoying it. I, I love the strategy behind it when it comes to you want to like focus on keeping your defense, your attack, and your health and health regen at a certain way. That way, you're not getting your ass kicked in future, uh, and, and future, uh, uh attempts. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think that. You're right that it certainly took me a minute to adjust back to the combat just because I, I had the same issue. That, or Especially when they take your shield from you in that first run, like, God, you start to feel it at a certain point that, oh, my God. And you start to have a bunch of enemies thrown at you, and you can't parry. All of a sudden, that makes combat a little bit harder. And I know that on higher difficulties, too, there, there are some levels, I think the very first area on the highest difficulty is designed for you to die immediately. Like, the very first area that you walk into... Um, Kyle, I love the line between uh, Kratos, Sigrun, and, and uh, Freya when you die the first time, and <laughs> Sigrun asks, how did you get into Valhalla to begin with? And he goes, I forced it open. And Freya's <laughs> like, oh, he forced it open. Okay. And it's, <laughs> Which
2: just, was answer. <laughs>
1: it's, it's just one of those where they're like, you can kind of see that this DLC does take place a little bit of time after the end of Ragnarok, because... They've kind of gotten used to Kratos' way of doing things, where, oh, him forcing his way into Valhalla. Okay, I guess that's just his thing now. Like, it's it's a very funny interaction, but, kind of obviously, the, the story itself, Kratos is faced with a decision. Freya has asked him to, I don't think it's actually said, but I'm pretty sure it's alluded to, she has essentially asked him to, I, I'm assuming, take the, on the mantle of the God of War in this realm and to take her, you know take, play, take a seat at her side and helping her run and, you know, helping counsel the nine realms. I like that we're seeing Credo struggle with this decision because, as the story in this DLC points out, it's not the first time he's been faced with this kind of a decision and he's hesitant because of how it went the first time.
0: Yes, this really, really went deep into, uh, you know kratos is past and as well as set up a lot for his future uh i think one thing that we can really really appreciate about this dlc as a whole is how they really showcase that kratos you know he's he's a video game character yes he's fictional, but they make him as real as he possibly can be. Because like you said, he feels very conflicted with these things that Freya's asked him about. And I really, really like that they, you know, and here's a, a big you know, surprise. They send you back to Olympus for a you know, essentially I think the second half of the run. Yes, And you're faced with a lot, a lot of things that Kratos has done in the past. They bring up a ton of stuff from the first three games. And I I think it's really, really awesome to see a character not only reference these past games, these past decisions, but reflect on them and actually admit that he was wrong that the things that he did were selfish and that he wasn't doing them to benefit anybody but himself and there's some people like the original uh the original creator of God of war who think that that was not a good um They think that Kratos went too soft, and I have the complete opposite opinion. I think that this actually makes him stronger because he's recognized, like, when he talks about killing the boat captain just to get the key to save those women. They were already dead by the time he got there. He could have at least saved the boat captain. He could have saved somebody, but instead, because he decided to, you know, be dumb and just kill him. Everybody died, you know. It's it's really cool to see. I think references to older games for the nostalgia, without making it the entire personality of the DLC. You know, like it it was the second half area, but I don't feel like this was just like, hey, let's go back to the first game and let's relive the first three, like. Because it really was split between that and a lot of what you know. I feel like is going to be going on in the future because there's a reason they're having Kratos kind of reflect on this and essentially ramp up his feelings about everything that he did in the past.
1: Yeah, I, I, I want to say this because I, I think you said something that I really wanted to touch on and I'm glad that you said it because we can go ahead and touch on it now. Um, David Jaffe is absolutely off his fucking rocker thinking that this new Kratos is an embarrassment or is not a good representation of the character when that all that tells me is that David Jaffe has no idea what character no. development is. That's all that's all that tells me is that he has no idea what character development is because that is what we've seen in these two games since the 2018 game in Ragnarok we've seen nothing but great character development that this Kratos is older he's wiser he's more battle tested he's more calculated he uses logic sure he, he still has his violent streaks and sure he still has his anger issues but they're not nearly to the extent that we saw in the God of War saga that was in Greece so I I think that he's way off base. It just tells me that he has no idea what kind of character he created when he first made the games. And it's really disappointing to hear somebody create, who created such an influential game series and game franchise. It's very disheartening to hear that that person doesn't understand character development. So that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, I, I love, I love the way that the story goes. I love that it takes us back to Olympus. I love that we get the Olympian sword, as a rage weapon or as a new form of the rage where you can you know you had the wrath uh you had the normal rage where you can just go crazy and then you had the healing version of it where you can just get a little bit of health back and the fact that you can now take that into new game plus makes me want to play through new game plus just so i can use the sword there because i feel like that would just be a lot of fun so I love that edition. I love Helios's edition as well. At some point you come across a chair yes. in one of your runs and it's it turns out it's the chair that Kratos once sat in when he was in Greece and he's it's a chair that he's been in before. It's similar to the chair that Freya wants him to sit in now as a leader of the as one of the leaders of the nine realms. And Helios comes in and essentially takes Mimir's spot and joins you every time you get to the second half of your run. You make it to Ancient Greece, and you go through uh, that kind of gauntlet area where you have to kill some of the Chosen of Valhalla. And he kind of, you know, he he gives you a little bit more backstory. He catches you up if you weren't there for the, Greece, for the Greek saga. And I love what I love about this, Matt, is you see that character development with Kratos because he wronged Helios. Helios helped him and he, and he betrayed him. And it's very clear that Helios is very, very upset about that. He always has been upset about that. And you can see Kratos in real time, go from maybe being in a little bit of denial about it to by the end, him saying, you know what? You're right. This was my fault. You were a friend of mine and I betrayed you. But, and Matt, I like this as well, because again, I feel like this is very true to life. While, Kratos is very sincere, and he's very apologetic by the end. Helios's reaction is, well, it's a little too late for that. You know, you killed an entire pantheon, you, you you killed thousands, you killed a ton of innocents. I liked it. It all felt very real, Matt, or at least, Matt, as real as a story about gods, about Greek gods and Norse gods could be.
2: Yeah, as uh, someone who I did play the original trilogy and the two PSP games, it's it, it's insane to me to see this. This is Kratos now, and as you are playing throughout this DLC, and for people who maybe have not touched upon the original, you really get a look into exactly what kind of dist- like horrible things Kratos did. To like, I mean, these are just puzzles, man. Like, I I, I remember the first time playing God of War three, and you get to that moment with Helios, and then you're just basically slowly ripping his head off to a quick time event is just my baffling back at the time. And, like, seeing Helios make a return, like, out of just nowhere was was, was crazy to me. Especially, harking back, there's a moment after you put, you know, you put his head in a cage and you're pushing it. There's a moment that you get this that weapon, and that's actually, a, I love that callback, because that's one of the uh, older weapons from one of the older games. And I'm hoping with future God of War games that we actually see a return of those, like the gauntlets and other things, because uh, God of War has so many different and really cool weapons and um I, I, I love to see that especially how, how they brought back the chains of Olympus in 2018 and then introducing the spear in this game like uh, they and underestimate the like the like not just the combat in God of War, but just like the weapon types. It's crazy to me to see that. Um, so that whole moment with Helios and basically Kratos is recreating a moment that he did um, in God of War. I believe this was the f- uh, second game or first game where he had to push a man in a cage and basically burn him alive to access to continue uh, his quest. And harking back to that was really cool to me, especially just the recreation of the scene because it almost looks like it as best as you could do in this, in this style. So hats off to Sony Santa Monica for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 if you couldn't tell already if you're listening to this, obviously we really love this DLC. And Kyle, I feel like on the combat side of things, it all kind of culminates especially in your last, I want to say, four or five runs, where you have to defeat a stronger and stronger version of Tyr every time. As it turns out that Tyr is the one that invited Kratos to come to Valhalla, knowing that Kratos was seeking a little bit of counsel and was looking for some answers in his past as far as how to handle Freya's offer. And I like this because while you have to fight Tyr, it's very clear at the end of each fight that Tyr is not your enemy here. And I like that the game again. It takes a more complex look at it. It's something the older games never did. It takes a more complex look at Kratos having to overcome the struggles within himself more so even than having to overcome the struggles of defeating Tier in front of him.
0: Yes, that was a perfect analogy. Honestly, I think the the different uh, levels of fighting Tier. You know, one, two, three, and four. When he gets harder and harder, also his design changes. I it's. It's one of those things, I love small details in games. And that was something that, you know, I really appreciated, that not only does he use a different weapon every single time, but that they cha- they actually change his design. He starts, you know, like, his hands start glowing, and, like, he starts getting, like, these uh, symbols on his head, and his outfit changes. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, but let's also talk about the weapons that he used.
1: Yes.
0: Because there was definitely a samurai sword in there and there was one of those like egyptian scimitars as simtars, well as yeah. you know quite a few other references that we have seen throughout 2018 throughout Ragnarok and then in this i they're they're really hinting at egypt and japan you know there's just been there's been quite a few there's been too many at this point like references or small hints for us to just say it's you know it's just coincidence especially when you know when i was fighting Tier, and i got there the second time and he was like you know i'll be using a different weapon i was like oh okay it's kind of cool and then it hit me i was like wait a minute what if i fight him four times and you actually end up fighting him four times and he ends up using you know those other two weapons but when he pulled out the samurai sword my jaw dropped because i was like you cannot get any more in your face about it than that like man those fights were so much fun he was very tough though i'm not gonna lie he killed me a couple of times and that's when that pain of being a rogue like really hit because i thought i was stacked until i get to tier get completely reset but the stats that they gave you i thought were very very fair there was honestly a lot of them that could really make you overpowered um i also like that they they had like these different symbols on the doors that would tell you what kind of chest you're going to get, that was actually very different. There's not a whole lot of roguelikes that do that, that tell you, you know, like, if you go through this door, you know, there's, like, going to be this kind of item in there. It's, It's really just randomized, completely RNG. So this gave me a little bit more strategy. I was able to kind of... You know, strategize how I'm going to build my Kratos by, you know, taking different paths, saying that, okay, I've already got, you know, two or three different weapon rune attacks. I should go for some stat upgrades or I should go for some, um, I can't remember what they were called. They're not medallions. The, like, the glyphs. Artifacts,
1: yeah. Yeah, artifacts, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, it, it was just, it was very well done, I think, um, in terms of being able to strategize building your character versus other roguelikes that I have played. Um but yeah, I mainly just wanted to talk about those those hints to going because I, I've said it before, I think we're going to Egypt in the next game in the next like big game, not the spinoff, I think the next like big trilogy or you know if it's gonna be two games again, I am putting bets on Egypt man. I'm telling you.
1: yeah, I'm with you that I feel like Egypt is absolutely the next place we're gonna go. I will say. I don't think we're quite done yet with the Norse saga yet. I know that obviously they were very clear that like Ragnarok was the end of it all, but I just get the feeling that when you look at the end of this DLC, when Kratos makes the decision to join Freya and ultimately does overcome all of his, uh, I guess we'll say, his feelings regarding the past and confronts his younger self, actually at the very end, which I thought Kyle uh, was one of the coolest parts, was the last time you beat Tyr and you're finally able to open the door, you come face to face with younger Kratos and not a single word has to be said. Not a single word needs to be said by younger Kratos, but Kratos has this epic monologue about how if he could do anything to change the past, he would. And if he could give him any kind of advice, it would be, I I can't remember exactly what was said, but it's this great monologue about learning to forgive and not hold on to anger as much as younger Kratos did. And it's again, it's such such a great moment where he overcomes all of that trauma from the past, all of that guilt from the past, takes his seat. And my favorite part is when Mimir says, are you ready to go? He goes, no, I think I'd like to sit here a while. And it's you can tell Kratos has found peace finally. And I think that a fair bit of that, if I have to if I have to speculate, I think the reason why Kratos was so unsure, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he doesn't have Atreus anymore. Atreus is out living his life and walking his path, and now Kratos has to find what's next for him after Ragnarok, and he never envisioned a life without Atreus. Once he and Atreus got close after 2018 and Ragnarok, I don't think he ever envisioned that, so he had to find his path again, and he's found that now finally. So I don't think we're necessarily done with the Norse saga yet. I think we might get one more game there. I don't know if it'll be a spinoff with Atreus like has been rumored or if it'll be another full game. But I absolutely think that there's going to be more to come from the North Saga, and I do hope that Egypt is where we go next. Matt, I'll let you wrap us up here. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to touch on real quick?
2: Uh, I do want to touch on what I do like about this game with a lot of the back dialogue is just how we get a deeper look into like Mimir and uh, Segrun's relationship. I thought that was a nice little touch. And I even like that there's like these little hints here and there. Like everybody can see this that Kratos and Freya do have a thing for each other, which is more about respect and all that for each other. But you could tell that there's more there.
1: I agree. I think that, Again, all the little backstory, because I think we learn about two of the other Valkyries as well. I know we learn about Air and I think the other one is Gunnar that is also there. I think that's her name, Kyle, if you want to correct me. I think I think those are the two Valkyries that are there as well that you kind of learn a little bit of their backstory as well. There's a lot of really, really cool things here. And I think, guys, the most impressive thing and the thing that I'll praise this DLC most for, I absolutely mm-hmm. would have I would have paid twenty or thirty dollars for this. Yes. The fact that it's a free update. Yes. I mean, that alone is 10 out of 10 material. The DLC is damn near perfect. It's great value added on and the fact again that you get it for free, it it gives you it gives value to New Game Plus as well. God of War Ragnarok Valhalla is one of the best DLCs we've gotten in recent memory and because thankfully of when it came out, that means it will be eligible for awards next year and I'm hopeful that Sony yes. Santa Monica is rewarded at the Game Awards uh, for this excellent DLC because it, it, it truly is one of the best I've ever played. So, that is a good spot to wrap up. So, that is going to do it for this episode of Side Mission. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Side Mission Pod. You can check us out on Facebook as well at Side Mission Podcast. For the boys, for Kyle, for Matt, I'm Rusty. Thanks for listening.